Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I have the profound blessing of being able to serve as a minister of God's Word this morning. It is, it is a gift. It is a gift beyond words that God has revealed to us, His goodness in this book, by His Spirit. And so would you take the Bible that you brought with you and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or some way to follow along, uh, I know we have some at the back. Maybe if you throw up your hand, I didn't ask them about this before, but if you throw up your hand, maybe someone will bring you a Bible. I'm not sure. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to begin to read at verse 18. If you are able, in honor of God's word, would you stand? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and even the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is to say our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. <laughs> and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word, that by your Spirit, you caused the Apostle Paul to write down, and by your goodness, you have preserved to speak to us and form us this morning. Holy Spirit, may you shape us, and Lord, 
May the preaching of your word compel us to look upon you and behold you with love and adoration. May we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take a seat. Our series this summer is called Think About It. We're taking a moment to explore passages in Scripture that encourage us to consider. You know those ones like, like in our title slide, we're invited to consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Uh, elsewhere, consider the ants. Well, this morning, we're invited to consider, to think about your calling. Some of you knew that this was the title for this morning, and you might have been surprised by the passage that we read because of it. Maybe you're disappointed or maybe you've insulted by the text. Uh, because maybe you were hoping I would be speaking about your vocation, the task that God's chosen you to do, your unique purpose in life, not like the things in the future, not looking back to when God called you to become a Christian. It's the idea of having like a unique purpose kind of calling that feels a lot better than maybe what we just read. Uh, To think about my unique call means that there's something really awesome about me that God recognized and wants to use. That I am useful to the God of the universe because there's something special about me. And the church in Corinth were looking for that kind of affirmation, for someone to point out why it was so good that they were the ones that God called. It's pretty jarring then when they're, when they're told to consider their calling, that they're reminded not of how great they are, but how profoundly common they are. That would be jarring for us too, right? This morning, uh, I would like us to see, I'd like to show you through this text, that the more that we understand the way that we have been called, the more we are freed to behold the beauty and love of God. The more we understand the way that we have been called, the more we are freed to behold the beauty and love of God. Paul, in this text, he speaks of four things that you'll notice that are particularly important to pay attention to. He speaks about the Corinthians' cultural values. He speaks about their individual strengths. He speaks about their preacher. And he speaks about the cross through all of it. And in the time that we have together, I'd like us to see how in Christianity, those four things are really quite embarrassing when we view them from our own human wisdom. But when we view those same four things according to the wisdom of God, they are in fact not embarrassing, but liberating. So that's our task for this morning. Does it sound like a good, a good thing to do? Uh, throughout high school, I, I played the alto saxophone that was kind of my instrument in band. I know a couple, couple of whoops. It was a great instrument. And uh, I loved it. I loved being part of jazz band. That was my favorite thing to do. Um, we had to do concert band, but I got to do jazz band. And maybe you know, uh, if you know me a little bit, it's hard for me to stay still when there's good music going on. And that kind of came through when I was playing jazz music. <laughs> and a consistent always happened at the end of a concert somebody would kind of make their way through the crowd say hey Kevin I need to tell you something like all right here we go I loved watching you play watching me huh like not anything about the music that I've played or anything I loved watching you play Kevin I was like oh thank you (laughs) wasn't I was hoping it was gonna be my my sweet 
jazz solo that I did and improvised, just so you know. Uh, I loved watching you play. And I wonder if that's what the Corinthians hearing this letter kind of felt like. You could tell, you could tell Paul is trying to encourage them, <laughs> but it just doesn't feel like a compliment. Do you remember your calling? Do you remember when you were called? Most of you weren't very wise or influential or culturally important. Well, thanks, Paul. <laughs> this is kind of offensive for a few reasons. We like our potential to be recognized. We want to be worth something. And by Jove, like, we're not all that bad, are we? Couldn't we have found something nice to say? If we got a church marketing consultant in, and they exist, and, and our website listed the things about our church the way Paul does here, they would be horrified. As I mentioned, Paul, in advertising their church, mentions four things in a way that would really embarrass us. So first, in verses 18 to 25, he highlights how poor the cross is at fulfilling their cultural values. Uh, in Corinth, and I think this plays through throughout all of history, the most attractive things were the things that were powerful and influential and well-branded and intelligent Things that are powerful and influential and well-branded and intelligent. Paul is writing as a Jewish man in a Greek audience, and he sees how both people groups in Corinth, Jews and Greeks, wanted to boast about how Jesus lived up to their cultural expectations. Do you remember that all throughout Jesus' ministry, the Jews, the people of Galilee who he was interacting with, were asking him, show us a sign to demonstrate power because that's what they expected of Christ, the Messiah. And the Greeks, the home of Plato, loved a well-crafted philosophical argument with all the logos and pathos and ethos. Even if it was a bad argument, if it sounded intelligent and winsome and cunning and well put together, it meant this person was worth following. So the church in Corinth seemed to have been busy presenting Christianity as powerful and influential, and as well-branded and intelligent. And Paul says in verse 22, Jews demand signs power. Greeks look for wisdom. And we find that precisely when we see Jesus. No. No, he says, but. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach the Savior dying and deserted disfigured and falsely accused. Not powerful, but dying. Not influential, but deserted. Not well-branded, but disfigured. Not a display of intelligence, but in fact silent in the face of false accusations. False accusations that anyone worth their salt could have defended themselves against. They could have been easily debated. Shh, Paul, we're trying to market Jesus to a people who like power and influence and who like good branding and intelligent argument. What you're saying, that's going to be a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. From our perspective, even, this part of Christianity is embarrassing in a culture that values power, influence, brand, and wit. Do you agree? Well, he continues on in verse 26 to 31. In this next section, and it feels like Paul's just digging himself a deeper hole. 
well, okay, well, stop talking about your cultural values for a second. Think about you guys. Think about your church at Corinth. And at this point, they're probably thinking about how they love how smart that one preacher Apollos is. Or how wealthy and socially powerful Crispus and Gaius and Erastus were. That's why they always put them in the best seats on Sundays. So the visitors could come in and see how intelligent and influential Christianity really is. But Paul skips right over those people. Think about when you were called to follow Jesus, when you became Christians. Most of you weren't wise by human standards. Most of you weren't influential. Most of you weren't born into important families. Paul, you keep saying these things like they're good things. (laughs) But this is really embarrassing for all of us. Is there really nothing worthwhile about us? Can you focus on the wise and the influential and the middle class people in our church? Like We actually have those people booked for a bit of a promo photo afterward. (laughs) Like they're diverse they're friendly. One of them is pretty popular. (laughs) Why do you have to highlight the fact that some of us are just kind of average? The really influential people, like those people who are in the promo photo, they might even leave if they realize that we're just normal. (laughs) We might be bringing down their brand (laughs) by associating with us. I I don't know if this is just me, but I've been fascinated by the way that Christians, we, respond when celebrities join Christianity or even mention the name Jesus. You probably remember when Chris Pratt talked about the gospel at the MTV Movie Awards, or Justin Bieber leading a worship song at church home, or when Kanye West dropped an album called Jesus is King. It was almost instant how quickly those videos got shared online, how quickly discussions and debates began about how genuine their faith was. But what I found most interesting was how quickly we as Christians wanted the world to know that, yes, even an influential person like Justin Bieber follows Jesus. Maybe with an undertone of, and therefore, I have quite a lot in common with one of the most famous people on the planet. (laughs) Or maybe you've been fascinated by how many arguments for God's existence kind of all of a sudden, and that was Albert Einstein. Unfortunately, most of those, it wasn't actually Albert Einstein. Um, Or how often Francis Collins' name is thrown around. Because people need to know that someone who is smart enough to be the head of the Human Genome Project is a Christian. How eagerly we want our friends and family to know that we can associate with someone so intelligent. Perhaps the undertone is, therefore I have quite a lot in common with one of the most intelligent people on the planet. But here... Paul is emphasizing the people who probably smell because they don't have a regular bath, who show up late to church, to the evening service, because they work two jobs to barely make ends meet. He highlights the people who dropped out of school and don't know how to read. Shh, Paul, you're ruining our reputation. People like being part of an influential and intelligent, well-branded community. I'm starting to get embarrassed to be part of this group of people. (laughs) What if my critics are right and I'm just following Jesus because I'm not smart (laughs) to know better? What if I'm just following Jesus because I don't have the resources to make it on my own? This is embarrassing. Well, lest we think Paul just had something against Corinth or the people in the church there, he continues in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2 to talk about the very preaching that led them to Jesus. Preaching that Paul did. 
He says that when he first brought them the gospel, he didn't use fancy language, snazzy graphics, although we're appreciative of snazzy graphics, uh, <laughs> uh, or even terribly persuasive arguments. He didn't lay down a synth pad underneath his conclusion. In fact, it seems like he intentionally didn't do some of this. And this is on top of the fact that he already had his own weaknesses. Like, he was intentionally being weak, and he was just naturally weak. Um, some say he wasn't a very attractive man. It's weird that that was written down, but apparently some people say that. Uh, throughout Scripture, it, like, it was really written down, so I don't know. Throughout Scripture, um, it doesn't seem that he was actually that healthy either. Like, he was actually just weak. Uh, and as to his preaching, do you guys remember the story of Eutychus? In, in Acts 20, we see this story where uh, Paul, he's got to catch a boat the next day, so he's gotta, he wants to preach all of his best work. So he starts at dinner time, have a little dinner meeting, and he starts preaching, and he preaches, and he preaches, and it gets to midnight. This is in your Bible, this story, so read it when you get home. Chapter 20, it gets to midnight, and one of the youth is sitting in the back there, he's kind of sitting in the window, and it says, it, it says in the Bible, and Paul went on and on. <laughs> And the youth guy, Eutychus, falls asleep. And, like, emphasis on falls asleep. He falls out of the window. They're three floors up. Eutychus dies. <laughs> and they all run down, like, poor Eutychus. This, I mean, it was a long sermon, Paul. And they, they run down. And Paul, not to be interrupted, raises Eutychus from the dead. And at this point, you're like, it's time for the benediction. <laughs> no. No, Paul brings him back up, sits back down, and preaches until breakfast. <laughs> So, I, I'm just saying, if you ever you think that maybe we go a little bit long here. <laughs> the, the, the point being, Paul, who God used to write most of the New Testament, wants to emphasize that it's not even because he's such a great preacher that the Corinthians converted. He preached simply, perhaps poorly, definitely weakly, and maybe on purpose. Shh, Paul, this is embarrassing. You are ruining our church's origin story. We love talking about the revival services that were led by Paul. Oh, you've heard of Paul? Yeah, that Paul. That, yeah. Oh, if you could have heard him speak. Honestly, that's probably why I'm a Christian and you're not. You just haven't sat under good preaching yet. Just wait until you attend a really good worship experience. Then you'll find Jesus. Paul, we love sharing your podcasts and sermon clips and quotes because we love to say, this is, that's, that guy, that's my pastor. Don't go around trying to show off how uncool you are. That affects the entire brand of our church and of me. This is embarrassing. In all of this and throughout all this, and you notice as we read, Paul's focus seems to be the cross. According to Paul, the cross is the pivotal intersection where the foolishness and wisdom collide, where the things that humans consider to be wise are found to be foolish, and the things that we find to be foolish are found to be incredibly wise in the divine economy. I find this challenging, that the cross is this pivotal point. I keep coming back to that line I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. 
I wonder if we are sometimes nervous about this, about the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Maybe not because we're bothered by it, not because we don't like the reality of it. Perhaps we maybe just feel that it, it's ill-fitting. Have you felt that way? Like we, we see the, the, the arc of the gospel of God's restoration of the broken world. That's good. We think of the coming kingdom. That's good when he will make all things new. That's got some grit to it. The powerful, all-loving, infinitely wise creator God. That maybe makes sense to us. And then we look at the cross. And, and deep down, for me at least, I, I know it's important, but it's hard to know why. It's a little bit embarrassing, especially all those songs about Jesus' blood. Those are the ones that when your friend comes to church, like, do we have to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus today? If you don't know about the blood of Jesus, this feels weird. Theologically, we know that Jesus had to die so that we might live, but I don't know if that's the way that I would have gone about it. Couldn't God have, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Now, healing, power, the vibrant Christian life, oh yeah, I can get on board with that. My non-believing friends, maybe, maybe they need to be eased into Jesus Christ and him crucified, but they love the Jesus who cares about justice and love. Yet, the Apostle Paul, understanding that the cross is foolishness to the world, he is not embarrassed. He resolves to know nothing else but Christ and him crucified. The beauty and scandal of the cross lies precisely in how ill-fitting it is, precisely with how embarrassing it is. If we remember the Garden of Eden, humans decide to rely on their own wisdom rather than trust God to be God. And in the cross, we now have the opportunity again to decide, is God God? I know that staring up at Jesus dying doesn't fit what I would do. It doesn't resonate with me. It feels weird. But will I trust that even here, God knows what is best? Our entire lives are filled with that recurring question, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? And the cross, as almost a dark mirror of the tree in the garden, gives us the means to restore our trust in him. We've not trusted, we've not trusted Here's another chance for me to trust that God knows what is wise. This is like him piercing a lifeline through. <laughs> to us, we, all we can see is the way that humans do things on their own, the result of a world built by humans who do what they think is best. And over here, we see the divine creation where God knows what is best, where he is wise. This is the true reality. And the cross, you have a portal where he sends it a lifeline and says, hey, will you come to this side? <laughs> where God knows what is best. In the last, uh, we have, the last 10 minutes of our time, I'd like us to take Paul, and more importantly, God, at his word. I said we we're going to do two things with these four things, right? I'd like to show you how I think these four things that are embarrassing about Christianity by human standards are actually, by God's standards, the most profoundly liberating. So, let's look at it. First, it is good that Christianity fails to live up to our cultural standards. 
it fails to satisfy our desires to be powerful and influential and well-branded and intelligent. This is really freeing. I have a good friend who I've known since middle school, and all of my life, maybe you've had this person, all of my life, I have been frustrated. <laughs> he's a great guy, and I like him so much. <laughs> um, and he's just good at everything he does. <laughs> it's just frustrating, and he's, it doesn't help that everything that I wanted to do in my life, he was better at it. And everything that I wanted to do, he's like, oh, but he got it instead. <laughs> And one of the most frustrating things is he's such a nice guy. So even as I'm starting to get envious, I'm like, oh, he's even nicer than me. <laughs> and I remember one day we, had, like, we were having a conversation and the topic of this other person came up and we were talking about this mutual friend of ours. And kind of out of the blue, he just said, oh, man, I just really struggle with envy for that guy. <laughs> Everything that he does is better than what I want to do. <laughs> And that was like a, a spiritual experience for me. Uh, I can't say that jokingly, but truthfully, because in that moment, all of these walls kind of crumbled down around me. I thought, oh my goodness, it never ends. <laughs> the guy who I thought, well, if I'm like, yeah, that would be good. No, 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 he's got a guy like that. <laughs> think, think for a moment of the most powerful and influential person that you know. Is there still room above them for it to become more powerful and more influential? What about the most intelligent and like well-presented person that you know? Have they peaked yet? Or are they still chasing the next level of influence? Ironically, the higher up you get, the bigger that pressure is to just keep ascending and ascending and ascending. Don't worry. Those are not the metrics of the cross. It is such good news that Jesus didn't validate the values of human power and human wisdom. Imagine, imagine if being a Christian church meant to grow in power and influence and polish our brand and our winsomeness. Talk about pressure. No, according to Paul, not only has God not chosen us to use those things, not chosen to use the things the worldly values, he says that you and I are evidence of this good news. Hey, Look, world, if you think that God is the kind of God to pile on arbitrary pressures of performance onto your life, don't worry. Look who he called. Kevin. Don't worry. You'll be okay. Jesus has come to bring liberty to the captives of the world's ideologies. Second, it is good that we were not called according to our own strengths. Imagine for a moment if we got the validation that we desperately think we would like. Imagine if God said, Simon, remember when I called you how smart you were? Or Ron, remember how administrative and kind you were? And Scott, remember how encouraging you were to say nothing of your sense of humor? Imagine that for a second. Those are all, like, those are true characteristics of you guys, by the way. <laughs> but imagine if that's why God called you. Do you realize how terrifying that would be? What about when I lose mental ability because of age or disease? What if I fail to love my neighbor as myself? What about when the clock on your 15 minutes of fame clicks over to the 16th minute and you're no longer relevant? What if the people no longer want you as their influencer? Many of you Many of you have been told all of your life 
how much potential that you have, how brilliant you are, how proud people are of what you have done. Those are all good things. I think those are compliments. But somehow you've found that message to be paralyzing and arresting. What if I disappoint them? Shh, not Jesus. He refuses to allow us to live in slavery, in the kind of slavery that believes that it's because of what I bring to the table. That's why he's invited us. He's invited us purely because it's his table and he's chosen to have us there. Third, it is good that we are not called according to our leaders. If you have been a Christian for any significant length of time, you have probably been hurt or at the very least disappointed by a Christian leader. Maybe a pastor has failed to live up to the standards that they agreed to, or perhaps your favorite preacher turned out to be a hypocrite who didn't really have a relationship with Jesus at all. Or maybe someone like me, or someone who is me, has said something to you that was in its tone or wording, insensitive, unwise, and just a reminder that, wow, even my pastor's a mess. Maybe an entire organization or an entire style of Christianity, maybe even the place that you were formed has turned out to be a horrid place of abuse. Maybe the very person who led you to Jesus doesn't seem to love him anymore. Maybe as you've thought more about faith in the modern world, you wonder if you were just duped into following Jesus because the atmosphere was right, the speaker was charismatic, and the coffee was from Portland. Imagine if Jesus let us tie our faith to our leaders that we so desperately want to. Imagine if Jesus let us boast, if he let us put our full weight of significance in the people who brought us to him. How terrifying would that be? Our whole lives would be a web of anxiety as we wait for that house of cards to maybe fall one day. Earlier, we were reminded by our sister, who through hurt wrote the words of the song we sang. When the brokenness of sin surrounds, when people fail and leaders fall, still the Lord will be my hiding place because I am safe upon that rock. If you read through the rest of 1 Corinthians, you'll begin to see that Paul doesn't speak simply because that's all that he could do. Oh, he could thread an excellent platonic argument. But so that you wouldn't get confused, so that you could never look back and worry that Paul pulled one over on you. So the life of Paul never eclipses the power of God. He says, I decided to show you that Christ and Christ crucified, nothing else is the power of God for salvation. Friends, I do not know how long God will grant me this profound privilege to preach his word. But it is my prayer that as long as I do, that I would trust God enough to help you trust God enough by knowing before you nothing but Christ and him crucified. This is the ill-fitting good news of all of human history. The cross of Christ is beautiful because it removes the power 
of all of those things that would shackle us. We would be shackled by our cultural values. We'd be shackled by our own strengths and the reasons that we'd follow Jesus. We'd be shackled by our leaders. He says, no, 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 no. Look at Jesus on the cross. Do you think you know what wisdom is? Do you think you know what it would look like to be wise? <laughs> Let me show you how the wise one of the universe demonstrates wisdom. It's not in any of the ways that you're striving after. Do you think that you know power and influence? Let me show you how God demonstrates his power. All these metrics that you're chasing after to get your power. No, no, this, the most powerful one, this is how he shows his power. Do you think you know exaltation? Do you what it looks like to be lifted up? Let me show you how the most high becomes most highly exalted. Look at Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Each and everything that we think we have a handle on, everything we strive for, which are all enslaving us, those bonds are broken in the cross. We no longer can think that by getting this power and influence, this winsomeness, this well-branded intelligence that we think, we're no longer bound to that anymore because we see in Christ, the one who's actually demonstrated the way forward, he's done the exact opposite. Later in the letter by Paul, we are told that it is through the death and resurrection that Jesus Christ reigns. And in fact, it says, he will reign until everything, all of the things that enslave us, are put under his feet. Oh, those things will bruise his heel, but they will be crushed. And the last thing that he will finally destroy is death. Do you see, I invite, uh, I think Pastor Bolt, there you are, It's going to lead us in a song to conclude. Do you see that the way that God in his wisdom has called us is so profoundly kind? By removing the pressure of needing or being able to boast about anything else, he frees us to hurl all of our weight and all of our worth upon him and to find in his embrace unconditioned love. Praise God that when we were called, not many of us were wise, not many of us were influential, and not many of us were of noble birth. Praise God that he has chosen what would seem foolish to the world to liberate us from the tyranny of our own self-imposed pressures. Isn't it the most liberating thing in the world to know that we have 
no place else to go except to the one who has given all for us. This morning, uh, whether for the first or the thousandth time, I invite you to boast, to lean all of your weight, all of your significance upon the Lord. And as you do, you will find him beautiful and secure. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for this ill-fitting and embarrassing truth that helps to transport us into a world where we recognize the profound wisdom of God who would not allow us to be shackled by any of the things that we would so quickly bind ourselves to. Lord, may we behold your beauty, behold your love for us, and Lord, be a people for whom the most important thing that we can say about ourselves is that we serve Christ and him crucified. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.